Welcome to Kindergarten Ready, What Really Matters. Kindergarten Ready is a podcast about child development in the first five years. Here, we'll try to uncover what really matters and just what it means to be Kindergarten Ready. Greetings, all. I'm Dr. Jean Ouellette, a researcher, director of the Language Literacy Learning Lab at Mount Allison University, and professor of developmental and educational psychology. I'm also an associate editor of the Journal of Experimental Child Psychology, a former speech-language pathologist, father to a wonderful, quirky, grown daughter, husband to a great teacher, and if I was to keep going, I may as well add university soccer coach and lover of wiener dogs. On this week's episode of Kindergarten Ready, What Really Matters, let's talk about language development, including a story about a beach, and a pelican. Welcome to the first full episode of Kindergarten Ready. Many years in the making. Actually, an idea I had many years ago and didn't act on it, so I guess it wasn't many years in the making. Many years in the not making. I guess that would be more accurate. Regardless, when it came to recording this first episode, there wasn't much of a question in my mind as to what the topic would be. There's an area of development that's been an interest of mine, dating back to my speech-language pathology days, one that became part of my PhD when I went back to school, and an area that I continue to study today. But beyond my long-standing interest in this topic, it was actually an experience on a beach in Florida several years ago that served to highlight not just the importance of this topic, but actually led to the idea of launching this very podcast. So, if you'll indulge me, let me take you back a few years, and we'll begin our podcast with a story of a sunny, beautiful day on the Gulf Coast of Florida. We were fortunate a number of years ago to discover a spot on the Gulf Coast of Florida that we became quite enamored with, especially in that sweet spot between Easter and Memorial Day when the crowds are a little less, the rates a little lower, but the weather fantastic. Today's story takes place on that beach one May four years ago. On this particular day, my wife and I managed to scout out a prime piece of beach real estate. Now, I should say, full disclosure, we're a little neurotic when it comes to beach space. We like an area without anyone else around us, no music playing, we like peace and quiet, and we're prepared to walk to find that spot as we did this day. Now, shortly after we set up, a family of three came along and also set up their home base there. To be fair, they were a good 20 feet away, so a nice buffer zone for us. It was a family of three, what appeared to be a mum, dad, and a toddler. I'd give her, I think it was a her, um, I'd give her probably, definitely older than a year, but, but not much beyond a year and a half. She was certainly able to sit up on her own and move around. She was very verbal in the sense of of really sophisticated babbling, long strings of babbling with intonation layered over top. But she'd be considered pre-verbal in the sense that there wasn't any indication that any first words had yet to be spoken. The parents were chilling, as many people do on the beach. The dad was reading a book. The mom was looking at her phone child was sitting, sitting upright on a beach blanket, completely enraptured by the various seabirds that were coming and going, doing flybys, occasionally landing nearby, strolling along the shoreline. There are many beautiful and striking shorebirds in this part of the world, ranging from the small plovers who scurry across the sand in a comical way to regular gulls, and then more exotic-looking larger seabirds, including storks and herons of various types. And of course, my favorite, the pelican. I don't know. If, if there's such a thing as a soul bird, then the pelican is my soul bird. 
They just seem so laid back. They're content to kind of hang out and be warm, just spend their time at the shore. I don't know, maybe it's something about their baldness, their large beaks and their overall awkwardness. There's just something about them that I, I identify with, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Back to the story. The incredible display of birds on this wonderful day in May on the beach in Florida was a source of great intrigue to this small child. She was captivated. When the birds would come closer, she'd she'd bounce with excitement, gesture toward the birds, erupt with a joyous noise. Again, she was pre-verbal, so these were not words, but there there was beyond a squeal. There was some, some pretty sophisticated babbling. There was a lot of speech vocalizations going on. And then came the pelican swooping down and landing just a few feet away from this family and this brought out the loudest squeal of delight a long stream of quite sophisticated babbling the parents looked up from their own diversions with this outburst of noise they smiled at each other acknowledging the happiness of the situation and then returned to what they were doing this was clearly a warm and happy little family yet i couldn't help think of the incredible wasted opportunity that just passed them all by So why would I say that there was a wasted opportunity? I just commented about how warm and happy this sequence of events was interpreted as. Well, let's stop for a minute and think about language, and specifically how we acquire language. While researchers and theorists may still disagree about how much of language learning is based upon some pre-wired system that we come into the world already with, what we do know with absolute certainty is that we can't learn language without hearing and experiencing that language in an interactive way. So, what was missing from this beach scene? Language. And what opportunity was wasted? The opportunity for language development and growth. And what area of language in particular? Vocabulary. It was on that day at the beach when my wife and I first started talking about making a podcast. This very podcast, to talk about what we had just witnessed, to share information on child development and how it all relates, eventually, to being kindergarten ready. So today, in the first ever full episode, it seems only fitting that our topic is vocabulary. What is it? Simply speaking, vocabulary refers to the words that we know. If you know a word, it's part of your vocabulary. Your vocabulary consists of all the words that you know. Now, if we dive a little deeper, we can think of just what it means to know a word. Well, if we know a word, we know what it sounds like, right? In terms of speech sounds, and we know what it means. Those are the two major components of vocabulary, sound and meaning. Oh, if if we're literate, we'll also know what the word looks like in print. But starting in our earliest days as infants, the task at hand in terms of language development is to acquire a vocabulary. That is to learn words, how they sound and what they mean. So how does this happen? Well, we need to hear words and see and experience what they mean. It's that simple. We learn to pair the sounds with the meaning. If we haven't heard or experienced a word, then we can't possibly have that word in our own vocabulary. That word will not be in our own internal dictionary that we create in our brain. We don't come pre-wired or pre-loaded with the vocabulary. We have to learn it. When we learn a word, we basically add that word, its pronunciation and its meaning into our memory. And just like how we can better remember events and people in our lives when they are associated with emotions or unique and meaningful personal experiences, we can better learn words, that is, increase our vocabulary in terms of breadth, the number of words we know, and depth, how well we know the words, by having emotional, meaningful, interactive experiences with language. Actually, let's take a few moments here and and think about this a little more deeply. 
When we learn words, we learn their sound and meaning. That means there's two different areas of knowledge we need to store. The sounds, or if we want to use speech terminology, that's the phonology, the speech sounds of our language, and the meaning. In language terms, the semantics or the content. Given that there's two different types of information that we're storing, sound and meaning, we can actually learn each of those to different extents. And it's really important to acknowledge that we're not always perfect in our initial learning of vocabulary. Consider you could learn a word and maybe you have its pronunciation, but you might not have its full meaning stored. Or conversely, maybe you know what a word means, but you're not 100% sure of its pronunciation. You've stored the meaning, the semantics, but not the phonology. If you've taken a course on language development or maybe even a psychology course at some point that dealt with language at all, you may have heard about under and over extensions, examples of the type of errors young children make in their word usage. Well, these errors reflect how we learn phonology, the sound structure, and semantics, the meaning, separately. Let's say, for example, a small child has very smart parents who have very good taste in dogs and they have a wiener dog in the house. That child may learn the word dog and associate it with their wiener dog. Now, they may have the pronunciation, they may be able to say the word dog, uh, but they might not fully understand what dog means. And this might be illustrated when they encounter out on a walk, perhaps a giant German shepherd or something, and the child doesn't realize that it's a dog. After all, it doesn't look much like their wiener dog. They may then encounter a large squirrel or a muskrat or something, and the, and the child may point at it and say dog. This is an example of an under and overextension in word usage. The child has underextended the meaning of dog to not apply to a German shepherd, but has overextended it to refer to a squirrel or a muskrat. The idea is that when we store vocabulary, although we may store part of the meaning and the pronunciation initially, it may actually take repeated exposures and experiences to fully develop meaning. We can also think of examples where in learning a word, we may understand the word and store a full rich meaning, but we might not actually have the pronunciation correct. My 83-year-old mother is famous for this, mispronouncing words, generally multisyllabic words. And there's actually been research, some of which I was involved with back in my graduate days with Monique Seneschal at Carleton University in Ottawa, capital of Canada, where we showed that children who had some speech difficulties in terms of pronunciation or production of specific sounds could have difficulties in learning words that contain those same phonemes or sounds. So, for example, a child who had difficulty pronouncing R, one of the hardest phonemes or sounds in, in English, could actually have limitations in learning words with R. Interestingly enough, as a small child, I had a, a severe phonological disorder. And then following some speech therapy and, and clearing up of my phonological production, I still had some residual difficulties pronouncing R. To this day, when I encounter words with multiple R's, I may have difficulty trying to figure out where the R belongs. Take arbitrary, for example. I know what that word means, and I know there's multiple R's in there, but sometimes I forget where they go. I even forget how many R's are in there. Is there one in each syllable? Is it arbitrary? Or do you skip a syllable? Arbitrary? Arbitrary? I can drive myself nuts with it. Just goes to show that connection between sound and meaning. So we have to ensure in child development, when we're exposing children to language, they need to hear the word multiple times and they need to see multiple reference or examples of what the word means. Now, we should also say children are really good at learning vocabulary if they're exposed to it. In research, there's a process sometimes referred to as fast mapping or QUIL, which stands for Quick Incidental Learning. And that is the idea that children can learn vocabulary after only a few exposures. 
As adults, we might need even more exposures to learn a new word, but children seem more apt at learning vocabulary. That explains how they can go from basically a vocabulary of one when they say their first words to knowing thousands of words by the time they hit school age. The developing brain, and especially the infant and toddler speech perception abilities, are particularly well suited to help them learn vocabulary. But still, again, we have to be aware that they may only be learning partial knowledge. We have to make sure they have full knowledge of the pronunciation and meaning of words over time. And here's something else to keep in mind when we think of learning words and language development. As our vocabulary knowledge grows, as we learn more and more words, it becomes increasingly important to organize that knowledge. If not, the knowledge is not easily tapped into. If we think of the words we are adding to our brain as books in the library, then it reasons that we must organize the words in a meaningful way so that we can find them when we need them. Just like books in the library need to be cataloged and organized in a systematic fashion, so do the words that we store in our internal dictionary. If we don't have this organization, we wouldn't be able to understand words as fast as we hear them or be able to find them fast enough to use them to communicate. Now also consider the type of words and the type of connections that we make between words. Well, we learn the names of objects, nouns. We learn words that represent actions, verbs. We learn words that describe objects and actions, right? Adjectives and adverbs. We also learn how words are connected to each other through categorization and associations. We learn categories and items that fall within those categories. We learn that a dash hound is a type of dog, that dogs are a type of animal, and that type of animal is a domesticated animal, and that's different from a farm animal. We learn associations between objects and functions and objects and actions. We learn that birds fly and fish swim. We learn other word associations like hot and cold, up and down. We learn the attributes or parts that define or make up an object. We learn that birds have wings and fish have fins. What I'm trying to say is that learning words and having them available for use in understanding and speaking is actually an incredibly complex process, yet it can happen quite naturally. All it needs to get rolling is exposure to language. Why does it matter? Another spot-on question. Vocabulary knowledge is what allows us to speak those first words and to be able to understand the world around us. It is what starts us down a path of language use, human interaction, eventually combining words into phrases and sentences. Vocabulary is what allows us to understand spoken language around us and is at the heart of our ability to communicate with others. And we now have considerable research that shows just how important vocabulary is when it comes to everything from intelligence measures to early school readiness to later academic enhanced life success. Really, that is not an overstatement. It is one of the most important areas of early childhood development, period. Vocabulary is top of the list when it comes to what really matters. We also know vocabulary is directly tied to literacy. I mentioned at the onset that today's topic is one that I continue to study today. I've been involved in research into the connection between vocabulary and learning to read for over 15 years now. It's long been documented that vocabulary is directly linked to reading comprehension, and that makes sense. You need the vocabulary in order to comprehend and understand the words that you're reading. But the work I've been involved with has to do with how vocabulary ties into learning how to read words. Having a word in your vocabulary, that is, having the sound and meaning in your memory, helps when you encounter that word in print. So it reasons that the sheer size of your vocabulary, the number of words you know, and the richness of your knowledge will help you when you first learn to read. And that's just not a theoretical argument. We now have direct empirical evidence that shows that to be the case. 
We also know that once you learn to read, you are exposed to more vocabulary. So consider this. Having a more sophisticated vocabulary helps you learn how to read. And once you learn how to read, you're exposed to more words and then you grow more vocabulary. At the other end of the spectrum, consider this. Those with lower vocabulary start off with a disadvantage in learning to read. And because of that, they are then exposed to fewer words in print. And the gap between them and their peers with a better vocabulary will grow even more throughout the school years. This is referred to as the Matthew effect in the literacy world. The idea that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And here it all links to vocabulary. And finally today, we should also touch upon the most cited study of all when it comes to vocabulary. A study referred to as the 30 million word gap. A study that's been cited over 8,000 times. And in the research world, that's a lot of citations. This study has attracted considerable mainstream uh, media attention over the years, so you may have heard of it before. It actually dates back to the 1980s when two researchers from the University of Kansas, Betty Hart and Todd Risley, started examining differences that could happen in terms of vocabulary exposure in households as a function of socioeconomic status and parental education. They visited homes starting when babies were seven to nine months old and started recording the interactions that were happening in those households. They visited each house for one hour, once a month, for two and a half years. Then, using some mathematical calculations, they estimated what the discrepancy could be in terms of how many words children were being exposed to. And they came up with the figure, 30 million words. That is to say, some kids will end up coming to kindergarten having heard 30 million more words than have other kids. That's a lot of words. And that's a big difference. This study became so well cited, it seemed to escape scrutiny for quite some time. After all, surely it must be 100% valid or it wouldn't be cited so much and make its way into even intro psych textbooks. But one of the themes of this show is to have a healthy dose of skepticism and to scrutinize the strength of the evidence. And when you take a look at this research, there are a number of flaws. There are only 42 families. They were chosen specifically in some cases to represent extreme ends of the socioeconomic distribution. And there may have been some cultural and racial insensitivities to some of the measures taken. Now, I mentioned at first, this study seemed to escape scrutiny. But something interesting has happened over the last number of years. The opposite seems to have happened. More and more people are taking a hard look at this study, and some have concluded that perhaps we should no longer be giving it so much attention. In fact, in June of 2018, NPR published a piece entitled, Let's Stop Talking About the 30 Million Word Gap. Now, to come up with a title like that, one would assume, okay, so people have taken a look at this study and found it to be so lacking methodologically that it must not be valid at all. But sometimes we go too far in our skepticism. When we look at this study, we can see, yes, there were some shortcomings. But that does not mean the results are completely invalid. Indeed, there's been much more recent research on this very topic that has shown while the figure of 30 million may not be accurate, the premise of the study is. And studies that have addressed many of the original shortcomings have concluded that the word gap probably isn't 30 million. It's more realistically closer to 4 million. So yes, 30 million may have been an overstatement, but you know what? 4 million still seems like an awful lot of words. So here's a case where a study went unscrutinized for a long time, then became so highly scrutinized people started to suggest we should forget about it, when in reality the truth lies somewhere in the middle.
Perhaps 30 million was a stretch, but 4 million words? That's still a huge discrepancy, because what we're basically saying is that some kids are coming into kindergarten having heard 4 million more words than other children. And it wasn't just the number of words, it was also the type of words. These studies have repeatedly found that some children come to school having heard much more sophisticated vocabulary. These are often words described as more rare or less frequently occurring in language. For example, to go beyond Trump-style language like good and bad, big and small, to things like gigantic, minuscule, stupendous, etc. So let's be wary of those who want to throw out this study completely or claim that the term gap is somehow discriminatory or culturally insensitive, as others have suggested. Three to four million words is still a gap, and like it or not, it matters. So I hope it's clear at this point that oral vocabulary is a critical component of language development. It is something that really matters. Early success in vocabulary puts children on a positive trajectory for development. It's important for subsequent language, communication, and social success, uh, and it's specifically linked to intelligence measures and learning to read. Learning vocabulary, while natural, requires stimulation and some attention to how the vocabulary system is organized. It is absolutely dependent upon meaningful exposure to words and their meaning. So the next question. What should we do about it? So let's go back to this, this, this beach again. Sorry, I keep coming away from the beach. And why would we want to do that? Let's think about what's happening that glorious May afternoon in Florida. The child was captivated, highly engaged, highly focused, so much attention on the environment around the child. And there was a strong emotional reaction as well. These are all parts of the formula for learning. So what was missing? The language. In this case, the vocabulary. It's actually pretty straightforward. We need to hear words in order to proceed with language development, and we develop vocabulary by linking sound with meaning. So when we are pre-verbal especially, we need someone else to provide that language input for us. We need someone to tell us the words that match what we are experiencing. How could that family have provided some stimulation? Think of what the possible narration could have been. The names of birds, the parts of birds, the actions of birds. There could have been nouns, verbs, adjectives, adverbs, all parts of speech. There could have been simple words, more complex words. There could have been word associations galore, all within a thematic, emotionally charged, interactive, engaging environment. There's even specific techniques we can implement in situations like this that have been shown to maximize learning. But for those, you'll have to tune in next week when we'll take up the topic of vocabulary once again, but we'll focus specifically on... What should we do about it? If you're hearing my voice now, that means you've made it to the end of the episode, and for that, I thank you. If you haven't done so yet, I encourage you to check out the brief trailer, which explains a little bit more about the premise of the show and how it will go about organizing and releasing the show. I appreciate you taking the time to give us a chance and hope you tune in next week when we can look at some of the strategies that we can implement to help children learn vocabulary as we continue on our journey to explore what really matters in child development and what it really means to be kindergarten ready. You've been listening to Kindergarten Ready, What Really Matters, a podcast about child development in the first five years. Kindergarten Ready is a production of the Language Literacy Learning Lab. For more information about the show, check us out at www.kindergartenreadywhatreallymatters.com.
Garden Ready.